Hello, I'm Vance, welcoming you to the 10th VegCast. And a special hello to anyone coming over from the hunting game. VegCast. A full menu from first to last. VegCast. And yes, you heard me right, the hunting game, in case uh, you are not familiar with it. There is a uh, little flash game, a little flash presentation, more properly put, uh, that I did that uh, has a link uh, currently on it to VegCast, uh, as well as to the Humane Society. It deals with Dick Cheney and his unfortunate hunting uh, tendencies. And I won't say any more about that now because I already did an update podcast about that, but I'll have a link in the show notes if you want to go see that and you haven't yet. On this VegCast, we have a full menu as usual, and this time the menu is the Horizons menu. We're pretty much devoting this show to Horizons, the restaurant uh, in Philadelphia that is going to be Philadelphia's signature vegetarian restaurant. It's big news for us here in Philadelphia. And I told you back uh, when I started this that some of the podcasts would be more Philadelphia oriented while others would be uh, more national in scope. This is going to be one where we're looking more at uh, local restaurant, but uh, I'm trying to make sure that it's of interest to anyone who tunes in, so check that out. It's Horizons Cafe in Willow Grove, uh, which has just moved into downtown Philadelphia, dropped the cafe, and become Horizons, and uh, a lot of us are very excited about that. We'll have an interview with Rich and Kate. We'll walk through the uh, the restaurant while it was being built, uh, and then we'll check back in on them uh, on their opening night. And we've also got some music and some science fact coming up on this VegCast, so stick around. Okay, before we do anything else, I just want to address the recent spate of headlines, cartoons, uh, jokes, and so forth about how low-fat diets don't work after all because a study has failed to find a benefit or a notable benefit in lowering your total fat intake from 35% of calories to 29%. Yes, 29%, going all the way down, 6% apparently uh, did not make a huge difference uh, for women who are continuing to eat basically uh, the same diet, but uh, cutting out a few things here and there. Uh, So it didn't have a lot of effect. Um, I'm not going to quibble with the exact science, although a lot of scientists have pointed out that this was based on flawed premises from 10 uh, years ago or more about the role of fat in the diet. But I am going to take our national and local media to task for once again jumping on the bandwagon that they don't care how much they confuse consumers and how much they buy into and play into uh, the hands of the industry that wants to keep everybody eating junk by keeping them confused. Uh, as Milton Mills said uh, recently to me, it of course always benefits those who want to purvey junk to keep 
the consumer confused as to what exactly is going on. And it's very clear there are dozens, hundreds of studies confirming the value of actual low-fat and especially low-fat vegetarian and vegan diets, uh, which have not been contraindicated by this one study. But the media loves a story that has a twist. And so the story, oh, we told you this was good for you, but now it's not. Oh, we told you this was bad for you, but now it's not is so attractive to them that they'll just grab anything and plaster their front page with the headlines without actually examining uh, what is going on behind the scenes or what the actual details of the story are. If they can somehow wrest a good headline out of it, uh, they'll put it right out there. The Philadelphia Inquirer is uh, specifically guilty of doing this, but I won't go into the, the exact critique of different members of the media. I just want to point out to, to watch out when you see anything in the mainstream press about health studies, nutrition studies, and so forth, uh, because to them all that matters is the, uh, the hook, the way that the story has a hook on it that will make it interesting. It doesn't matter if it's particularly true, as long as it has uh, something really fascinating about it. And I think that generally this is an irresponsible way to deliver news. So I'm hoping that uh, at least VegCast listeners will be more discerning and watch out for those. Now, as long as we're on the topic of media, uh, there has been some good media coverage of Horizons and their move to Philadelphia. I know that there was because I actually was involved in some of it, and I'll put a link to that also in the show notes. Uh, and in the course of gathering material for that, I also got a chance to talk to uh, the proprietors, Rich Landau and Kate Jacoby, uh, as they were getting the construction done on the space that would become the new Horizons at 7th and Cater Streets in Philadelphia. And uh, so we walked around, and we'll try to give you a little sound-seeing tour. For those of you outside Philadelphia, you'll have a chance to uh, kind of imagine what this space is. And for those of you in Philadelphia, you can listen and then head over to Horizons yourself. So let's check in uh, with Rich and Kate at 7th and Cater Street uh, approximately one month ago. We're coming down South Street going east, we get to 7th and south, and you look to your right, there is a building that is orangish, and uh, it's just a half a block down on Cater Street, we're walking down toward that now, we are going to cross 7th Street when we can find a break in these parked cars, and we go across uh, past Beauty Pro 7th Street Beauty Products, and c'est moi salon and right here is horizons the front door will go into the bar and you come just around this corner onto cater street and open the door and here we are okay well so looking around here then once this does open this is going to be like this is our lounge. lounge we're calling bar it a lounge, area. essentially a bar now, when the main restaurant opens, that will be our main entrance, of course. 
This room will be painted, um, these red on the this red on the ceiling tiles will be painted a much lighter color. The walls will be much lighter. All this black will be gone that's back here. This room, of course, will consist of this bar, which we're going to finish all in natural hardwoods and tile for a really nice organic effect, pardon the pun. <laughs> right. Um, over on this wall will be three high-top tables. They're the kind of tables that you would sit in a chair like this. Right, okay. You know, opposite the bar, so you're kind of at the same level. So you'll see about um, maybe two, then a four, then a two here. Mm -hmm. Four kind of going with this inner groove of the bar yeah. right here. Okay. Back here, we'll have two more uh, two-seater tables. And you'll also be able to accommodate a big party back there. Okay. So, now this room is far, far, far from done. This almost looks as if, as if you know, we just walked in here. This is what it looked like. There's a lot more right. red velvet splashed around. It does certainly have uh, <laughs> a lot of vestiges of the, the yeah. previous. Absolutely. It tells place. a story. Well, that's fine. Just to, to yeah. set the scene, though, there are piles of lumber and boards with nails, ladders. I think there might be carpeting, a body in there, too. Body. You might sure. want to edit that. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's fine. There'll be tile in this wall back there. Um, this floor, there's originally this carpet covered this whole floor, this very... Um, rather red industrial grade carpet. And our original idea was to do cork on this floor. Yet when we uncovered it, there was these beautiful terracotta Spanish tiles here. Right. Now if I can give you an idea of what they will look like, there's a little section here that wasn't covered. So it's really a great find. Oh yeah. We call it our $3,000 discovery because now we don't have to do the cork floors. <laughs> wow, well, that's um, good. Uh, there'll be a little barrier between the kitchen door and these seats right here. So these seats will be very intimate. Uh, for people who don't want to commit to, you know, the full formal dining room up there, but want more of a casual meal. This room will also be open about an hour or two, maybe three hours later than the main dining room closes. You'll be able to get appetizers down here, oh, okay. uh, drinks, you know, all of our wine and beer will be organic, only very high quality selection of spirits. We're not going all out as a bar bar. We're going to have a right. selection of alcohol for people who want to drink alcohol but want to drink quality. I want to feel good the next day. Right, okay. Fairly good. <laughs> and you're going to be providing them with American Spirit hand-rolled cigarettes? That's that's, uh, that's a real nice <laughs> touch. It's, uh, Actually, it's all organic. Actually, we're a non-smoking restaurant oh, okay. all the way through. Yes, we're non-smoking. I think that's one of our employees. You have the exclusive on that, by the way. We haven't told anyone that. Yeah. Okay. Non-smoking. Excellent. One of the and, little tidbits. Uh, you mentioned organic alcohols. We're, we're trying sorry, to have vegan, organic vegan, alcohols. Vegan. In fact, we're finding some really fantastic wines and beers that are all organic and biodynamically produced. Mm -hmm. But... We won't be exclusively all organic wines and beers. What we are featuring is all vegan wines and beers. So okay. we have done tons and tons of research on this, and we have just become so educated. I'm so, like, beaming with pride of all the work we've done. Right. But it's been really fascinating. We're talking directly to winemakers. We're talking directly to brewmasters. And it's just fabulous. Like, we're really excited. At first, we were very discouraged. We thought... We better not have any alcohol at all. What are we going to do? But then when we dug a little deeper, you know, we realized they aren't these obscure, you know, only vegan wines. I mean, right. for example, Yellowtail, totally mainstream. They don't find their wines with any They don't yeah. find them, period. They're considered vegan. Cool. So right. uh, it's just been it's a matter really, of finding it's them. It's a really experience. I mean, and, and to talk to these winemakers and brewmasters who are running these very small, almost micro operations. We connect with them. We connect with them. They're doing what we're doing. They're focusing. They're staying small. They're not over commercial commercializing or trying to just be in it for the money. They're focusing on quality, which is our main goal. Right. No one's allowed to mention money here. It's all about the quality. Because if you do quality, the money will come. Right. A side note, we'll too, um, <laughs> we're actually bringing some awareness to the whole wine and beer industry. I was wondering. A lot of people are like, oh, wine's not vegan? 
what, what, what else is in it besides grapes? And it's right. not so much an ingredient, but it's the process, whether or not yeah. an animal protein was used in finding it. So, you know, we're bringing awareness not only to consumers and, and vegans who want to know, but um, it's interesting talking to winemakers. They're like, oh, really? People care about that? Oh, well, and, you know, I'm thinking in my mind, well, they can use this... Um, uh, they can use clay and other other sure. alternatives. So I'm thinking, well, you know, hey, maybe they'll stop using the Isinglass fish bladder, and you know, right. maybe they'll yeah. actually take that into consideration. Well, or at the very least, your calling them as a restaurant has a lot more clout. Yeah, makes them think about it even more than somebody calling up Especially, and saying, "I'm not going to buy your yeah. wine anymore." Especially when we send them to our website and they see that you know we're recognized. We're going to be one of actually a very few uh, handful of restaurants in the country that will be doing all vegan now. Even um. Some of the bigger name vegetarian restaurants are focusing on organic wines, which mm-hmm. is great, but they're not necessarily vegan. We've come across some great organic wineries that aren't vegan, so it's interesting. It's right. a lot of homework, but this will be, um, it's of course, unique to Philadelphia, which I think the city deserves, right. but it's also right. uh, one, of the, one of the few in the country That's that you'll cool. be able to see this list. Yeah, it's cool. We'll continue the dining experience here. The, okay. the people, this will be no reservations down here, the people who want to come in for a casual meal, uh, wide open, just come on in, grab a seat, you know, well, they'll be seated, but there'll be no reservations. It's a, you know, a much more casual experience. Now, the people with reservations will come through the magic door here. Okay. Now we're going through a passageway that has uh, a lot of glass block. It's one, basically a whole wall of, of glass block, except for a little part there. So it's very bright during the day. I guess it's not going to make much difference at night because you don't have a lot of big flashy neon out there on Cater Street. Exactly. Well, what we're going to do is light this from thin. Now, this section here is just a platform that will be coming out. This will all be filled with plants, hopefully tropical plants that will grow and they'll thrive in this glass block. Uh, Indirect lighting in here. Uh Uh, Probably a water feature will be in here, too. So that we're really excited about. There'll be kind of a midway point. You know, your journey's half done when you reach this landing. Okay. Now we're going to come up the steps here. Excuse me, Another bar, of course. Now, this will be more of a sophisticated bar experience, uh, more of a wine bar, probably. Um, we anticipate a more of a younger crowd down, downstairs. As you know from the Will Grove Horizons, mixed bag every so, single night you're in there. You have the baby boomers, you have the, right. the tattooed teens, you have yeah. everybody. So, we anticipate a younger crowd down here. Up here, you know, more of the wine drinkers, people may be waiting for tables. Um, you can have a full dining experience up here. At this so, it'll probably be more of a planned destination type thing yes. from somebody saying let's go to Horizons tonight versus downstairs where maybe people going up and down South Street hey what's that thing down the exactly down if the block let's go to check that out plan your anniversary dinner or your birthday dinner you would definitely make a reservation and be eating up here if you were going out to a movie or going to see a show somewhere and you just wanted to have a drink and get some appetizers you'd probably just walk them down the stairs so right. of course people can come and sit at the bar here without reservation Sure. So if somebody came down here and didn't realize that, you know, they, didn't, they needed a reservation or something, this would be available. It would be a little qu- more quiet up here, mm-hmm. uh, much more uh, sophisticated dining scene. Uh, again, we're going for both facets of the dining experience here. We, When we go out, sometimes we just like to walk into a place, have a beer, have some french fries, and go home. There's other times we like to go out and actually dine and sit down. 
Uh, they're both important aspects of the dining experience, but they don't always go hand in hand. Right. Uh, and that's why when we found the space with two floors, we thought it was just the golden opportunity to create both of these scenes here. Right. So we really took advantage of that because um, we love both these, both these rooms so much. Um, so upstairs here, now we have the opportunity to offer a really great, formal, intimate, vegan dining experience. Again, that Philadelphia hasn't seen yet, but Philadelphia deserves. Um, and there's only a handful of places like this in the country that are really going upscale with their dining scene. Uh, a lot of people think that if you go out for vegetarian food, it's very casual. It's laid back. There's just a bunch of hippies making vegan right. chili back there. You know, this is going to be a serious dining adventure up here. Okay. So I'm very, very uh, proud of this. Maybe a couple of low chairs right here just to have cocktails if people like if they're waiting for a table. All right, okay. And as we come down here, we enter our main dining room. This floor is made of Brazilian teak. It's just installed, actually. And, you know, we put these beams up here in the ceiling. This beautiful A-frame is pre-existing here, but it was a beat-up old greenhouse from uh -huh. about 40 years ago. It was covered in boards and cracked glass and a shingle roof on top, and it was in horrible shape. But we saw all the potential to create what we were going to call the Urban Eco Lodge. We've seen um, uh, in our travels, maybe to Nicaragua, Honduras, we've seen these great, beautiful lodges made of all natural materials. Mm -hmm. um, and it, there's a sense of sophistication there, yet you're in the rainforest. And mm -hmm. we thought, wouldn't that be a great aspect to bring to the city and how great a theme that is to go with vegan cuisine? So we really took advantage of the great A-frame up here to create this lodgy type experience. Uh, there'll be 10 tables up here. Uh, we had a choice to cram a lot of them in and, you know, we didn't want to be one of those restaurants where you sit down and you're just crammed side to side right. with people. We want people to actually have a little space here. Not sure. be isolated, but have enough space to really enjoy, have a conversation without fear of being eavesdropped or... In business for almost 12 years now, I think that, and I've been with Rich at the restaurant for about four and a half or so, um, we've had so much time to really think about what we really want to do and how we can make it the absolute best experience. So we've been sort of limited in our uh, Willow Grove location as far as having a very shoebox style space to work with. And we decided, you know, right now there are certain things we've changed. For example, the, the deuces in the middle of our dining room. We wanted to sort of do away with that idea. We want to do just like seating right down the side make it very okay. comfortable for people. So right down the wall will be 10 tables. Again, just we think the perfect amount of space to make the room kind of a lightly crowded and happy place. So, cool. Now this room originally, of course, like downstairs, was covered in curtains and red velvet and obscene posters and there was holes in the wall everywhere. You can see where this drywall's been patched up in the ceiling. Well, this, this we saw right away with the A-frame, and we knew that those windows up there were still intact, even though they were covered with black curtains, because they were doing a lounge in here, a late-night lounge. Uh -huh. uh, now, you know, a lot of this bar was pre-existing, too. Again, just covered in, you know, nasty streamers and um, curtains and wh whatever it was, but it was all covered up. Someone did take a lot of time years and years ago to make this building special, so we're going to try to return it to some glory. Great. And this here, is this going to be another weight station or more seating uh, space? The weight station will be right there, actually. Uh -huh. uh, this right here will be our uh, one of our four-seater tables. Oh, okay. So this will be, uh, actually, this one will be the one we're going to stretch into a six or an eight for big parties right here. Cool. So now I have to ask you, have the kitchen downstairs, mm -hmm. and are the people going to be... How, is there an elevator or is there back stairs? There's I mean, back stairs. Be... If we walk back here, we can show you. Okay. The, um, we're going to have something we don't do with Rises now, um, food runners. And wow. This is uh, a lot of restaurants do these, this concept these days where there is an employee 
designated just for running food. Mm -hmm. So that's what we're going to do. The servers and the bus people, bus kids, will never come downstairs. These back steps lead to the kitchen. The runner will be waiting in the kitchen. As soon as food comes up, they grab it, and they will take it all the way down there. Now, I've stepped this out. The actual steps from the end of the kitchen all the way to the very end of that dining room is not that much further than the steps from where I stand at Horizons out along the wall oh, really? to the very far table at the front of the restaurant. Well, it's not okay. that much further. It's about another uh, 15, 16 steps maybe. But you will expend more kinetic energy. Going yes. Yourself up and down. Well, it won't be me running, but someone's no, going to be in great shape. <laughs> okay. Someone's going to... You know, we should actually, it's like a workout program, actually. We should, That's it. We should market it that way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, we're not the first restaurant in Center City to have an upstairs dining room in the lower kitchen, or yeah. vice versa. Uh, I know of one that has a kitchen in the basement has to run wow. food upstairs. So, it's done. Um, we might, uh, if it's a problem, we might use covers on our food, you know, to keep it warm. Mm -hmm. But I don't think it's going to be a problem. I think as long as the runner picks up food right away, it's going to come straight down here. And right into the dining room, so we're not that far. But we can go down this way to okay. give you a better feel. Alrighty. Now the runners are going to have to step around all these paint cans, I guess. Yeah, hopefully they'll be gone. Oh, okay. This will be our dish room, and we just ordered a brand new walk-in, actually, a walk-in refrigerator, which will come out. This one's obviously been here a very long time, maybe even before the restaurant. So anyway, this is basically the end of the kitchen line right here. So the food will be coming up right here. Uh, there'll okay. be a table here and a table here. And that's where the food will come up. So the runner just picks them up and right up the steps, and then you're down the hallway. Okay. It seems like it's a lot further than it is, but it was one of the very first things I looked at when we decided on the space here. Mm -hmm. It's a much bigger kitchen than uh, Horizons. It's just laid out much differently. That will grow for us instead of. Right. That's right. See, you have to start thinking. Yeah, well, we, we've gone from Horizons Cafe to Horizons. We've lost the cafe. Oh, it's not a cafe anymore. Okay. Well, it started off as a cafe. It's not a cafe now, but we figure down here, people are going to think it's a coffee house. It's true. I was actually like, wow, this is a real restaurant <laughs> right up there. So it might be a. It might be worth uh, I sloughing so. that well, off. Originally, you know, my very first place was actually inside of Nature's Harvest. Um, okay. I had the, well, that was part of the history that I was hoping to get. The first 300 square feet of that, uh, I rented that out from them, and it uh -huh. came with a little electric cooktop, and I had a little steam table, and we had six tables kind of around this counter, uh -huh. and that's how it all started. So it really was a cafe back then. It was very casual, and yeah. I, I expected to be... Uh, serving all uh, students from Acadia University. Uh -huh. you know, I figured it was just going to be one of those laid-back places. Lo and behold, all these suits and ties show up. Right. And people dressed up. And I was like, oh, my God, I don't believe this. You know, and so then, you know, things went on from there. And we also will go on from there. But now we're getting more into uh, the part of the interview dealing with the history of Horizons and their philosophy and so forth. Uh, so the sound scene tour part is over, uh, but we'll take a little break now for some music. Uh, this show, as you may know if you listen to the update uh, that I put up last weekend, was originally scheduled to go up on February 12th or 13th, and it happened right then that uh, this news came out about this hunting accident, and so I decided to jump on that and uh, just put VegCast aside for a couple days. 
Um, the key thing about it was that I had a song scheduled that was specific to, uh, it was going to be for Valentine's Day because I thought it tied in pretty well. It's a song that has to do uh, with uh, romance and the little things that can sometimes interfere with uh, the consummation of romance, shall we say. Uh, so I'm going to play it now anyway because I had it uh, sitting here ready to go for this podcast. It is, again, by Green Beings, that band that I just can't seem to get enough of. And it is sung by the inimitable Amy Guskin. It's called Lips That Touch Liver. to get the history 
of Horizons going back to how the original Horizons Cafe in Willow Grove got started. Let's listen. How did that um, come about? Did you know, already know the people? I, I lived in Roxborough at the time. I did. Um, and I was working at Sonoma as a bartender, cooking a lot. I did a little catering, um, and just cooking constantly, really just learning everything there was about cooking, because I couldn't find anywhere to eat. You know, that you're talking um, 13 years ago. Sure. Not a lot of options out there, and my style of cooking uh, just didn't exist anywhere. I couldn't find a place to eat that I was going to be satisfied eating at. I, you know, obviously you can tell from our plates, I like very kind of hearty meat and potato type portions, yeah. you know, right. like protein, starch, veg kind of thing. Yeah. My dishes are all placed on that. So I really want to get out there and cook professionally. I was comfortable enough with my style where I wanted to take it out to the public. I was going to do a lunch truck, actually. Originally, it was so close. I had them all priced out. I had the hitch put on my van. Yeah. I mean, I was so close. And um, I walked down the street. There was a place called Highway Naturals down uh, past Andorra. Um, I walked down there one day. Uh, it was a perfect space. She looked like she um, there's almost enough room for a little restaurant in there. I said, you know what? Let me go walk in there. What a great location. It would be really cool to work with a health food store. And she said, it's really strange that you came in here. I'm closing this store. But my friend Bruce up in Willow Grove is looking for someone to run his cafe. Uh-huh. I said, well, that's really strange. And I was born uh, 20 minutes from Willow Grove. I, I was born in Abington Hospital, grew up in Cheltenham, so I knew the area very well. Went up to talk to him, and yeah, he said, you know, we can't handle the cafe anymore. We want to focus on the store. We just want to rent it out. I said, okay. Okay, so they had had some, some kind of it was like a deli. cafe type thing. It was a, it, yeah, they didn't really do anything with it. It was right. set up for... Uh, a small-scale operation. They basically did stuff out of a deli case, you know, mock tuna salad into containers and hummus yeah. and things like that. They had a counter where you could eat it, kind of like what Whole Foods does now, actually. Right. I guess right. they were visionaries. Um, and I just went in there and, and made it into a little restaurant. So it was right. all timing, all timing and fate. Yeah. I've been there ever since. <laughs> right. Well, hopefully this will be similar timing because it's about time. I think so. We had something like this here. Now, Kate, can I ask you how how you got? I was a customer for a long time. I remember uh, seeing Rich with his ponytail back then. I tell him the story because he had crazy chef pants with little hot peppers all over them, and he had his hair in a ponytail. And I remember he would reach into a bucket of pre-cooked pasta, and I thought that's how they do it, you know? Because I was young, I was like, oh, you know, I had no restaurant experience, and. I thought, oh, that makes sense. You don't cook the pasta to order. It would take too long. So it was just kind of neat to be able to, you know. But I, I didn't know if his name was Rich or Rick, <laughs> to be honest. I never figured that out until I started working there. But, um, you know, it's embarrassing. I would call it the health food restaurant. And when I went away to college and I would come home, my parents would pick me up at the train station. They'd say, Kate, do you want to go to the health food restaurant? And I'd say, yeah. So I would go over there. And um, I was becoming interested in being vegetarian and then vegan and all these, you know, different things I was learning with, with what I was cooking for myself. Um, it was always my favorite restaurant. I would talk about it to anyone that, who would listen. And my mom, who's not vegetarian, would uh, come in and share a meal with me there. And we would both sit there, and we wouldn't talk. We'd just say, mm, mm, and, you know, back and forth how good it was. And she'd say, if I could eat this way all the time, it'd be easy to be vegetarian. Right. And I hear that all the time. Yeah, so do I. <laughs> so I, uh, after college, was... Uh, going to France in the fall, so I had a summer, and I came to Horizons. It was perfect timing. I got hired to host for the summer, um, 
And when I left for France, I ended up coming back early because, well, Rich and I got together and I missed him. <laughs> and um, there was work to be done at Horizon, so I was actually uh, waiting to start grad school and started uh, doing some kitchen shifts, doing some prep, and um, then the pastry chef left and I started getting interested in pastries. So uh, I decided, you know what, this inspires me more than graduate school. So I... Uh, I just started full-time at Horizons, and I guess I've been full-time now for maybe at least three years, so. Yeah. But it, it's been amazing. So I mean, the pastry chef thing you just you just fell into, basically, yeah, because I the mean. pastry chef left. Because, I mean, you, I have to say, some of the things that you, you come up with, they seem very, uh, like, somebody that's been around knows <laughs> all about desserts, and, and, I mean, because it's not a, no small thing to take. Yeah. You know, take these this limited ingredients and not use the things that people right. are expecting, Especially and, and yet make stuff that yeah. With egg and all that. Yeah, um, I cooked and baked all my life, and then when I um, when I started prepping, one of the, my main jobs I started on in the kitchen was actually being a non-professional cook to try out all the cookbook recipes in a home kitchen. So little by little, I was, you know, Rich doesn't write recipes. He tastes everything and goes, you know, just on his instincts. Um, so it was kind of difficult for him to put them on paper for other people to read. So I did that job and I learned so much and loved it so much. And I think that I sort of based my, um, my pastry styles on the way that he cooks. So I don't really have recipes. I don't really measure. I taste and taste and taste and um, you know it, it's just been great I mean just working together and we're just so passionate about it so mm-hmm. if we want to learn something we just can't stop till we figure it out cool that's yeah. how that came about <laughs> she would come to me and say I'm thinking about doing a creme brulee and I say Kate creme brulee is a celebration of all things dairy it's <laughs> eggs it's milk it's butter you yeah. know you can't do it and she does it. She uses coconut milk, yeah. and I tasted it, and I can't believe it. I mean, it's it's truly amazing. Now, uh, well, I did I did have on here asking. I guess you answered if you love the the sunny climate uh, yes. so much. Why are you still in Philadelphia? Well, <laughs> well, you were so close to moving to Florida. I mean, that's when we travel. It's all we do. We go to warm climates. Well, we do go to Europe once in a while. And, get the chance. Um, well, we were born and raised in Philadelphia, and you know, Philadelphia's dining experience right now is at such a great new level. It gets better year after year, mm-hmm. and yet, after all this time, there's no signature vegetarian restaurant in Philadelphia. Now, uh, New York, I mean, you don't have enough hands to count the vegetarian yeah. restaurants on every street corner in New York. Mm-hmm. San Francisco, all over the place. So for vegans that have been around the country, you'll, they'll always tell you, Philadelphia is such a great food town, but... There's nowhere to eat there. You know, you got this in New York, that in New York, this in San Fran, that in San Fran. Florida's got some great places. Um, Sublime outside of Fort Lauderdale. Have you been there? I have not been there. Um, that's a really great place. Okay. But uh, we, we said to ourselves, wait a second, we've put in 11 years now in Philadelphia. Um, we have a name there, of course. Why are we going to run off to Florida and start from scratch? I mean, if we make this decision to move Horizons downtown, this could be a very well-accepted you know, move. Yeah. And so far it's been wonderfully accepted, except for people who live right around the Willow Grove location, but well, they're, yeah, they're dealing with it. <laughs> Just uh, talking about the uh, the food, um, I mean, one of the signature uh, components of Horizon's food seems to be seitan. I mean, you do so many uh, amazing things 
with Satan. And I was wondering, I mean, I read the, you know, the blurb that you, you had about it in the, in the cookbook. But, um, oh, first of all, I wanted to know, do you do you buy Satan from a supplier or do you actually make your own? We actually buy it from, uh, we use raised Satan, but it's made a oh, special way for us. Oh, okay. It's slightly um, undercooked. Oh. And uh, it's made the way we want to use it because we're going to continue to cook it and grill it and right. saute it. But he what you... makes the best seitan. So yeah, and <laughs> he's local. He's, he makes the best seitan in the country, yeah. I think. And he's um, he's local. He's very great to work with. And um, as far as making your own seitan, I've made seitan before. I can't make it as good as Ray. Okay. Um, you know, you know, French restaurants have their own butcher. You know, they don't kill their own cows. <laughs> right. I hope, but. Uh, Right. I don't. Uh, I'm very comfortable using his product because um, okay. I've learned how to work with it. So well, you do. Uh, that's the thing is that you seem to be able to like mold it and or like slice it or do something that makes it able to achieve more than now. Again, I've not been to these these fancy schmancy restaurants in New York or San Francisco, so I'm used to your garden variety seitan type things, but just. I and people that I bring to Horizons are always like, wow, I can't believe that he's doing this with gluten. <laughs> well, actually, the way Ray cooks it for us. Now, the one thing we do have over New York and San Francisco is most people say you can't get this kind of seitan. The seitan you get in New York and San Fran are, is more of like a loaf style, something you would slice off, and mm-hmm. it's a little bit tougher and spongier. Right. Um, and most people don't like seitan for that reason. So we're very lucky to people have Ray as our as our local supplier that makes it this way for us. Cool. So all right. Um, oh and and uh, kind of following up on that, um, I just want to get your reaction to the 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 traditional double bind of of vegetarian cooking that um, you know if it's a meatless dish um, either you know, there's this, if you make it like meat, then there's this, oh, it's so pathetic that you don't eat meat, and yet you're still trying to eat meat. And then if you don't make it like meat, it's like, well, I'm sorry, but this just is nothing like <coughs> such and such meat dish. Mm-hmm. And and you seem to have found a way to to navigate right between this <laughs> thing. I mean, do you, are you conscious of that? You know what or, I think the answer is to that? This if it's good, you don't have to <laughs> you don't have to think yeah. about it. That's um, a great answer, yeah. But you know, the press is kind of very curious about it because they'll say, "Well, you're calling them tofu scallops, but they don't taste like scallops, and the texture right. is not like a scallop." So, are you trying to give this to someone to make them think it's a scallop? If you go to a Chinese restaurant and they're really trying to do mock shrimp, and right. they actually will use the word shrimp. Now, scallop, while it does refer to a living, you know, creature, it's also a cut. It's a style of cutting. Right. Scallops, potatoes, for example. We have decided that there are certain words, unfortunately, that we are going to be playing with. Um, for example, rather than using the word steak, we're just going to try to skirt the issue and just go for it and call it grilled seitan. Take the wings off the wings, just call it Jamaican, Jamaican barbecue seitan. Okay. The awareness is out there now. When Rich opened in '94, 
he didn't want to advertise, hey, this is a vegetarian place, because he figured everyone would be like, well, I'm not eating there. Right. Um, but on our business cards, we're now printing new vegan cuisine, because we feel like the climate has changed so much that people don't think vegan is weird. Um, we're sort of pioneering it with going vegan, not just vegetarian. Mm -hmm. But I think um, people are ready for it. I mean, just go to Trader Joe's, go to Whole Foods, go to these natural food stores, and you see it everywhere. And it's not just, right, you know, right. it's not just people who are macro or whatever who are eating this way. Right. Um, you go to a mainstream supermarket and they have the veggie deli slices. I mean, it's it's definitely um, more and more accepted. So we feel... I'd like to add to that proud. too, that, um, the, you know, we're also not trying to do mock meat. Now, like a Boca burger is mock meat. Right. Um, the vegetarian bologna Yves makes. I love the stuff. Yeah. I could eat it every day. It's mock meat. Right. It's trying to fool someone into thinking that they're eating meat so they can not have to eat meat. And we're trying to navigate that in the sense that um, seitan and tofu, tofu, first of all, are ancient foods. They've been around, well, probably longer than meat. <laughs> I don't know about that, but uh, um, th these are very, very old foods. They've been around a long time. Um, yeah, my, my style of cooking is the one that takes it more towards the meat and potatoes aspect. When I'm um, by the time I found out that meat was coming from cows in my life, I had already loved the taste of meat. Um, so then I found out, oh my God, this is about slaughter. But I'm like, oh my God, I already love the taste of meat. Now, most people get turned off to it by that point, and they say, okay, I'll, I don't want to taste anything that tastes like meat. Just please, give me steamed broccoli, and a lot of it. Um, but I was different. I wanted to create a, you know, it wasn't so much the taste of meat I missed, it was that soul-satisfying, you know, deep cave person, you know, kind of... Right. Uh, the stuff that gets down to your primal instincts it makes you say that was a <laughs> meal you know uh, and you know you just can't get that from quinoa <laughs> well yeah so you're saying that we do have a primal instinct to eat meat that's an interesting I think we're evolving thing. I think we're evolving um, I think if you look at all the arguments between where our eyes are where our teeth are and where our intestines are we are completely in between where a carnivore and an herbivore should be mm -hmm. a human species is evolving the problem is where we've come from is much more ingrained in where uh, who we are than where we're going. Right. So that's why the original concept for Horizons was dubbed Food of the Future. Right, food of the future. I, I dreamed of a day when um, it was the carnivores who had to come to town to thumb through the yellow pages to find that little tiny shack inside <laughs> right. the butchery still serving meat. Yeah. You know, and um, so I think we're evolving, and I think you have to kind of erase and get people's minds off what's already been done. Uh, provided we all believe in Darwinism. I don't know if that's generally well accepted <laughs> these days, but let's assume it's true. We've evolved, and um, we've, we've got to now evolve our palates, and I think that's, that's, where, that's the art we're trying to kind of mm -hmm. uh, conjure here, is, is a cuisine that's going to say to yourself, okay, well, it's going to still have that same deep, soul-satisfying, wow, that was a great meal aspect to it, really fulfill you in every sense of the word, mm -hmm. and yet still be healthy and cruelty-free. You know, that's, that's, the, that's the course we're trying to go on. Well, it's hopefully, you know, I would love to think that there will, there will be a fraction of those people that wander in here that We've start thinking. There was a guy uh, who said, you know, Rich, I used to eat at McDonald's like, every day. Do you remember? Well, he actually came there for, he was dragged there for dinner one night. One of those people, I mean, they're literally kicking and screaming in the door. I see <laughs> okay. them pulled by the scruff. Yeah. It, it's just comical. And uh, they strap them to the seats. <laughs> and, uh, no, he, he wrote me an email that night. He said, Rich, or actually, wrote me an email uh, a week later or so. So, Rich, the day before I came to Horizons, I had two Big Macs for lunch. I have not been back to McDonald's since, and I've gone vegetarian. 
I say that you know, I think it's one of the greatest things I've ever heard in my life. Not just from an egotistical standpoint, like right. wow, you know, just I mean, it was just amazing yeah, in great. every aspect of the word. Uh, that was just amazing. We're not preachy either. Yeah. We're very uh, unintimidating. I think um, we never, you know, tell people like, hey, you should really eat this way, or do you know this is better for you, or do you know this is saving the environment. People are coming to our doors. We're happy to just, you know, I, I say that Rich and I got in this for animal rights reasons because we didn't want to, you know, farm animals ourselves and we, we wanted to do a vegetarian restaurant. Um, but day to day, we're just like restaurant people. We love it. And we, like we said, we love food. So um, we know what it's like to come out to a restaurant and we don't want to be preachy or anything like that. Right. So, uh, I think that's one of the reasons why we're so well received because people can come here and they don't have to go home and eat vegetarian all the time. But you know what? Hey, one night a week we they you know they vegetarian yeah. instead. We joke about having a little thing like McDonald's has, saying like one billion cows saved or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> one billion yeah. Yeah, burgers. That, or, we're not gonna make literature up at the front, no. except for the 24-hour vegetarian. <laughs> that's not good. <laughs> that's good. That's good. <laughs> one thing I forgot to ask was um, in in the cookbook, you talk about how you've been influenced by different cuisines in this place and that place, and you're writing the thing while you're flying over Cuba and so forth, and where, I'm just wondering, you seem to have traveled a lot, um, was it just a, a wanderlust, or was, was this just that you happened to be having to travel for other things, or did you actually say... This year I'm going to go and find out about this kind of cuisine in this place. I mean, was it was it like food-oriented travel, or what uh, was all of that uh, stuff? Both, actually. Well, um, ne I never had to travel. Uh, Wanderlust was the beginning of it, of course, just being fascinated with other parts of the world. Um, and, yeah, just to find out about the cuisine in other, you know, uh, in other nations. Mm -hmm. Now, for instance, we're, um, we decided before we open we're going to take three days and we're going to go to Puerto Rico because we need to relax, clear our heads, mm -hmm. Um, we want to be very, very fresh and tan. When we <laughs> <laughs> uh, we've just we've been working. This is a full time job down here. Working full time in Willow Grove. Right. We need um, a couple days to just chill out, and we picked Puerto Rico because we found a really funky hotel there that's going to be kind of like what we're doing here, and we want to really dive deep into some tropical food and you know eat some plantains mm -hmm. and rice and beans. And it's so inspiring to be down there. The spices, the aromas coming from the street vendors. It, it moves me in a way that I just I just want to push them aside. Let me cook that, you know, and it really just, <laughs> it gets me so excited about cooking. Yeah. To come home, uh, the tropical flavors are the best. And what I love so much about tropical food is that number one, it's sunshine oriented. It feels good to eat. People down there don't eat a lot of heavy food. They don't eat cream sauces. They don't eat a lot of cheese. Uh, they don't even eat a lot of meat. They eat a lot of vegetables and a lot of fruits. Um, your, I love European cuisine. Nothing's better than a good Italian meal, especially living down here where so many great Italian restaurants. We love European food. love British food. we got these great vegetarian sausages and mashed potatoes last time we were in a pub in London. It's wonderful, outstanding oh, cool. experience. But it's also very predictable. There's not a lot, now this is my personal opinion, there's not a lot of shocking, great, wonderful, unknown ingredients coming out of Europe right now. Mm -hmm. uh, even you know, your most upscale French and Italian restaurants in the city, Lebecchen, Vetri, uh, most of the ingredients are known. Uh, there's stuff coming out of Latin America right now that people don't know about. Um, great, you know, uh, there's calabaza, chayote, laroco, um, these great herbs and spices that are completely new to us. It's exciting. It's, yeah. it's exhilarating that a restaurant can put something on their menu that's not been done before. 
It is exciting, and it is exhilarating, and I hope that uh, this has given some taste of how infectious uh, Rich's enthusiasm for great food is, and if it hasn't, uh, then you will have to try it out. And if you think that I am exaggerating uh, and calling it exciting and exhilarating, then I only ask that you eat one meal at Horizons and then come and tell me that I have been exaggerating uh, after that because I don't think that I'm going to have to uh, deal with anybody actually saying that. Uh, go on and give it a try, and we will actually uh, head over there uh, right at the end of the show, uh, just for a wrap-up, and give that a try. But first... Science. Our science fact this time around comes not from a peer-reviewed study, but from a source that I hope we can trust to be completely scientific. The report from the USDA's Inspector General on uh, Mad Cow Compliance. I'm just going to uh, let you know some of the results of this report, which received almost no play in the mainstream press. It was busy touting how low-fat diets don't work, but uh, some of the conclusions the Inspector General uh, drew are summarized in these headlines. One headline, U.S. meat supply at risk of mad cow disease. Another says auditors can't say whether meat plants followed mad cow rules. You might also be interested to know that downer cows, uh, prohibited downer cattle, are entering the meat supply. Also, USDA didn't follow procedures in 04 BSE test. Uh, that's the test back in November that they failed to tell us about until June of 2005. And why? Well, that's in another headline. Agency fought retesting of infected cow. They didn't want the infected cow uh, retested to get a positive test, something that would actually show the truth that the cow uh, did have BSE, because that would undermine confidence in the testing program. You can't make this up, folks. Uh, USDA feared beef test is another one, and uh, a concurrent headline, which does not come from the uh, Inspector General's report, but uh, kind of sums it up, confidence in U.S. called key to exports. Because, of course, Japan uh, reinstituted a ban on U.S. beef after a little over a month uh, when the uh, United States shipped Japan uh, some beef that had prohibited parts, spinal cord parts uh, that are considered high-risk materials for BSE. And uh, so then they had to do a probe of that situation and came out with another report, which shockingly came out on a Friday. So I only actually found out about this today. Um, there's a lot of uh, yada, yada, yada in the report about, oh, they just made a mistake. They didn't know. They didn't mean any harm. Uh, and in this Associated Press story, about this. They put all that stuff up in the lead and way down, buried, as the saying goes, uh, in the bottom of the story. It 
mentions these investigative findings by the United States revealed a second violation of export rules. The shipment also contained awful or inedible trimmings uh, produced by a plant which was not authorized to ship awful. So that's just a little snapshot into how the uh, United States Department of Agriculture, which is charged with regulating the safety of the meat supply in the United States, and of course, assuring its integrity so that we can continue to trade worldwide and uh, maintain our robust economy. So that's how they're doing with that project, and that is, in fact, this episode's Science Fact. Now before we wrap up the show, let's just check in one more time with Horizons. Uh, it is now open. We're going to just stop by there last Saturday night. So we're here at the end of your second night of, uh, what do you call it, a soft, soft opening. opening. Yes. Yeah, and the food was great. And how how did it go for you? How do you, What do you think of the I'm experience so, so far? I'm so pleased. It's really been just a dream come true to work all the way through this process. And when you were seeing it before, you saw how far this building has come. So right. to see the dining room with the candles lit and the places set and the people enjoying the food, I mean, that's the best part. Yeah, well, I was watching other people enjoying it, and we were enjoying it ourselves. So, and you're now, you were still up to the the end. You, were you still the pastry chef at Horizons, or had you already moved on from that? Yeah. But you you didn't actually literally make everything tonight before Correct, yeah. you started. Correct, I, I have everything prepared, and then they work on plating and yeah. garnishing and all that needs to be done. Wow. Well, that's cool. So it's a it's kind of a tall order for you. Then, it's interesting. You do that and My then mornings you do exactly. The I just it's a good thing I live close by because then I can run home and change and shower and come back in different clothes. So okay. it's like a Superman trick for me. <laughs> well, it it seems like it's uh, it's going to be great and it's going to be a place that people just have to come because it's like nowhere else. So I wish you the best. Thanks for, again, for talking with me for VegCast. Oh, my pleasure. VegCast. So that's going to do it for this VegCast. Thanks to Rich Landau and Kate Jacoby for uh, letting us through the doors before the place opened and uh, for doing such a great job for the vegetarian community and proving that you don't need to eat meat to have food that just knocks your socks off. And we'll be back next time with a little more nationally oriented show. Uh, but until then, I'm Vance. Get out there and live like you mean it. Veg-Kai.